I'm Anthony Bachman from All Things Good and Nerdy, a geeky podcast, part of the Gunna Geek Network, just like the show you're checking out now. Shows on the network are individually owned and opinions expressed may not reflect others. Find other fantastic geeky shows at GunnaGeekNetwork.com. This is the official GunnaGeek.com show. Here we run down the latest news and happenings in the world of geek. These are your hosts for the show, Stephen, Chris, and SP. Welcome to your second October episode of the official Gunna Geek Show. We're technically recording this on 30th of October, 2023. I am Stephen. I'm pleased to say SP is here. What's really going to bake your noodle later on is if you think, well, Stephen, it's really the first November episode of Gunna Geek. Right. That's because Chris Farrell is also here to tell us about how we're not 100% sure if there'll be another episode for the year. <laughs> Hold on a second. Is this noodle we're talking about gluten-free? Uh, yes, it is. It is, it is gluten-free. Okay. Acceptable, then. And it is, it is trans-fat-free as well. I mean, I don't know how you'd put trans-fats in a noodle unless you were literally just putting it in fake. Yeah, I guess that would be <laughs> Never mind. In the, the it, world of fast food we live in now, you want to question that? It's GMO free too, MSG free. No, but I like the MSG. Give me all the MSG. <laughs> First you do. Uh, no, we're here with another episode of the official Gunna Geek show. We believe there'll be one more of the year. Uh, we're just trying to work down the dates. Uh, we'll tweet that out if it's all happens to be, but we will not be doing a December episode this year. Uh, that's pretty much locked down at this point, just because we got a lot of stuff going on and, um, and we've only got so many weeks left before SP tells me that uh, he hates me and issues the lawsuit against me. There's only a few more weeks before that. Finally. I mean, the lawsuits have been coming the whole time. <laughs> no, seriously, but we are, wait. though, uh, we will not have a December episode, um, but there will be hopefully one more episode that may or may not be holiday themed. Time will tell. But when do we get the inevitable Steven leak? Because we know how much... You idolize one Linus Sebastian of LMG and how you were jealous of the fact he published not one but two videos of himself in the buff trying to solve security issues at his desk. Well, when did we get whoa, the Steven whoa. version? They actually had they 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 published. Yeah, they censored over his uh his naughty bits, but and they blurred it out. But yeah, it, when remember when Linus got hacked, his YouTube channel got hacked or whatnot? Oh no, I knew about that. I just thought they yeah. accidentally published an un unblurred version or something. No, no, no. So. They, they blurred it all out. Oh. I mean, th that's always the difficult thing for when it comes to all the editors and stuff that we don't always think of is to make things YouTube safe. They have to blur <laughs> out the naughty bits that may happen. And like, depending on the channels you watch, that may or may not happen very often. Like, I don't think this was a normal occurrence for any of LMG's work, but go and look at like some of the Try Guys stuff where like they're trying on all of the different costumes at Spirit Halloween and they're wearing all sorts of different hot pants. And <laughs> then you've got a bunch of editors are having to blur out all sorts of bulges and shapes and things that fall out of the sun out of the uh spandex it's a bad time sometimes you gotta trust your editors to make sure that you johnson doesn't end up on the internet well i will make sure that i send that over to you to blur when it's time oh i'm totally putting it on pornhub then <laughs> that's gonna be our new distribution channel we're never gonna get youtube monetized but maybe just maybe we get pornhub monetized Yay! Yay! I mean, 
I say that jokingly, but a lot of people, when they start talking about what's the alternative to YouTube, who is that serves a bunch of video out there to lots of people all the time, and it's fairly redundant, it's Pornhub. I'm not joking. That's what everyone mentions is the backup. It's like, well, if I can't get my stuff on YouTube because I'm throwing out, let's see if Pornhub will show it. Well, I look forward to the day I subscribe to you over on that site. Uh, no, I don't. The site being OnlyFans? No, I'm already subscribed there to Chris. You can host video on OnlyFans too, I imagine, but I don't, I don't know enough about how it works. I assume it's similar to Patreon where you can host a video and make it so that it's open distribution, but I don't know. Uh, I don't know. I'm not sure. It sounds like something that I need to investigate purely for investigative reasons. See. Space news, space news. It's time for more space news. <laughs> Is that the new theme song? Yeah, and it will always be live performed too. Oh, be still, my beating heart. <laughs> I can't wait for next time. Well, yeah, it's that time again. SP talking on a Good A Geek show, so he's going to be talking about Starship. Why? Because it's a big rocket and it's important. Biggest rocket ever. What's happened since last time? A lot. Let's talk about what's happened since last time, just the last week or so. On Tuesday, October 24th, SpaceX performed a full WDR, or as we call it in the biz, wet dress rehearsal, on its current Starship stack at its Boca Chica, Texas facility. Starship 2, for the lack of a better name, consists of Booster 9 and Ship 25. SpaceX is currently awaiting both FAA and Fish and Wild Game service approvals to launch it, but it has placed its stake in the sand by scheduling a date for November 6th. It scheduled some closures and every day afterwards, you're talking notums. That's notice to airmen, road closures, marine notices, everything like that. So they're calling it an IFT2 or integrated flight test two will hopefully be Starship's second flight there's no sure thing with this thing. And it's expected to mimic the original Starship's flight profile with the OFT, with at least one exception. We've talked about it before, hot staging. Starship will light its upper stage engines on Ship 25 while it remains coupled to Booster 9 in a maneuver known as hot staging. A special hot staging fairing ring was installed between Booster 9 and Ship 25 in the full stack to allow for the exhaust to escape out the sides. This hot staging maneuver is expected to reduce velocity loss at staging, where the main booster's engines are cut while the upper stage is decoupled and then achieves engine start. The first Starship launch on April 20th, 2023 ended in a failure and loss of vehicle before staging operations could be undertaken and thus Ship 24 was not tested other than its ability to stay on Booster 7 with some exceedingly high G-tumble maneuvers. And as a reminder, Starship is currently required by NASA for its Artemis program to enable humans to touch down on the moon once again. It is the moon lander. So guys, as early as November 6th, Starship might launch again. It's an early birthday present. 
Thank you, Starship. Okay, let me ask you this, SP. I knew you were going to ask something. Uh Uh-oh. How likely is it? Oh, by the way, I'm not going to say the date, but I've just had this revelation that I forgot to wish you happy birthday, SP, when it was your applicable day. So happy, happy, very belated birthday. Um, July 8th. Okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, And anyways. Just a few months ago. Anyways. um, uh, (laughs) How likely is it that it's going to hit my house? That's the question. Well, it's got to go all the way around the world first. So it's got to achieve orbit. And then it's got to go around. And then instead of going to Hawaii, where it's supposed to go, it's got to end up in your backyard. So there's a few things that need to go wrong in order for this to happen. But I'm confident that that SpaceX could get more than a couple of things wrong with this next launch. So what you're saying is there is a chance. There's always a chance with SpaceX. Yes! So what, and the other thing is I've got until the sixth to get the rest of my Christmas display up is basically, because I think that, you know, if, if my house is going to be taken out, it should be in full Christmas mode at the time, right? And what a way to go out. <laughs> I think you also need to have drones flying permanent circuits around your house so that when it does happen, we can have drone footage. Oh, I like so that. So get yourself a fleet. <laughs> a fleet of drones. A fleet of drones. Okay, so when will we know actually if this is going to be a thing? Because this seems like a lot of theory at this point. It does. The problem is the FAA and the Fish and Wild Game Service approvals have not taken place. So (laughs) it could happen anytime. We talked about last time how the Fish and Wild Game Service could last until 2024. I think they're getting pressured to get it done. But, you know, they're probably thinking... We're going to do this in our own sweet time because if something goes wrong, we don't want the finger pointed back at us. We want to point the finger right back at Starship or SpaceX. So this might take a while. I don't think, even though it's ready to go, I don't think November 6th is the date that it's going to happen. I'm very hopeful it will. And I would love to see it. But if it slips too far to the right, I won't be able to go down. So I don't know, guys. It's looking good for the vehicle to be ready to go but it's the approvals that is hindering their launch date well that's too bad i hope that though you can make all of the snasa magic happen and you can somehow force this to go whether or not it takes out my house whether or not it endangers the environment you know i think this this is something that you need to make happen and if it doesn't happen on the 6th i'm going to hold you sp personally responsible Go ahead. There's no money writing on this whatsoever for me. Sun, Suncast was asking in the chat if there's a Gunna Geek meetup in Boca Chica. No, no, no. The Gunna Geek meetup is at Steven's smoking crater of a home. <laughs> we'll go pour one out for him. <laughs> and hopefully pour out some of the fire at the same SP's time. He's going to bring his wing cub with him, and we're going to leave that as a tribute to Steven. <laughs> uh, oh, that would be awesome. Uh, uh, <laughs> All right. Well, thanks for updating us on this. And we hope that next time we record, you have some favorable news, SP. We hope. I'm looking forward to it. Really, I thought that the launch would have taken place by now, but it's that sticky approval process that's holding them back. What a shame. What a shame. All right. Let's talk about 1.2, which is matter 1.2. 
If you are a longtime listener of the official Gonna Geek Show trademark, uh, no, it's not. Uh, but if you're uh, uh, copyright, <laughs> if you are a listener of the show, you might know that over the years, We've dabbled in smart homes. In fact, I believe Chris Farrell was the first one to get into the idea of smart homes. And then quickly, like he did with my addiction to other things, uh, he gave me a a, a little taste for free. And then I was fully in the mess way ahead of him. And so uh, I, I have been into lots of different smart home things over the years. And so has Chris and SP. But the one of the latest projects have been all about Matter. Matter is the new standard that was established by a bunch of different companies to create some form of standard platform within the smart home world called Matter. Well, that came out several months ago in a practical way. I think technically it came out last year, but I don't think we got any devices till earlier this year. But it has been out and Although it's been very shaky, that's not the time for this podcast. There has been some experience that I have personally had and others have had as well of, of Matter not performing that great, but it is a thing being worked on. And now there is a, a 1.2 version of the Matter standard. And in the 1.2 official release, it is including the ability for refrigerators as a device type uh, room air conditioners as a device type, dishwashers, laundry washers, robotic vacuums, smoke and carbon monoxide alarms, air quality sensors, air purifiers, and fans. Those are a bunch of the new device types that are now officially part of the Matter standard. So, Stephen, you're saying if I crank call you and ask if your refrigerator is running, you're just going to check your app now instead of checking to see if it's actually running? Probably just going to send you a screenshot if I'm being honest. That's fair. Yeah. Of the app showing that it's running or of the refrigerator itself. It might be that footage I mentioned at the start of the show. Ooh, sexy. <laughs> what happens when it really does stand up and start walking away? <laughs> you know, you know, it's a matter of time with them being so smart now that it's going to gain sentience eventually. That will That's happen. That's matter 1.4. <laughs> you got to wait for that version. Uh, but also in the matter 1.2 standard, they've done some improvement to existing devices, which include latch and bolt door locks. There's some been some there have been some enhancements for the European market. There are some changes with device appearance. What they say on the matter site is that added description of device appearance so that devices can describe their color and finish. This will be helpful representations across different clients. And then also device and endpoints composition. Um, that's some technical stuff in there. Some semantic tags, again, more technical stuff, as well as generic descriptions of device operational states. And what they say on this one is expressing the different operational modes of a device in a generic way that will make it easier to generate new device types in future revisions of matter and ensure their basic support across various clients. That one I found interesting because that seems to indicate to me that right now a lot of these device certifications and whatnot must be very specific to the approved device. And the fact that they're generically describing these operational states seems to be a good thing for hopefully potentially an influx of matter compatible devices. But I wanted to bring this up because I'm, I'm glad to see 1.2 is out, that they're continuing to improve. We've talked a little bit about some of the rocky road that has been with matter so far, including some of the uh, square pegs and round holes that we've seen the actual implementation of different people 
uh, putting out matter. But I also am a little disappointed that we don't have energy in here yet. I have a couple of plugs that TP Casa, TP Link Casa has made that are matter certified and they are energy monitoring capable. However, they don't do that under matter because apparently that is not part of the matter standard yet, which is mind blowing to me because that is such a thing that people use. And that's there's a very old feature elsewise in Z-Wave and Zigbee and Wi-Fi devices. So I was really hoping to see that in 1.2. I'm a little disappointed it's not there. To be honest, I don't think it's coming anytime soon. What I would love to see in Matter, and I don't think it's coming anytime, is cameras. Because everyone's mm. got cameras. Everyone would love to be able to have my camera that I bought with Vendor X that doesn't talk to the same services as Vendor Y have one place where, with Matter, I could view it all in, say, my Google Home app or my Apple Home app or my SmartThings app or something like that. This is the world we live in right now. Like I live in a house where I use two different brands of cameras and sometimes all the Google ones work as they're supposed to. They display on both my Amazon devices and my Google devices. But when I start getting into the, uh, the wise cameras, it's really hit or miss. And like they made their own version that basically casts the display to your Google devices and it works most of the time, but it's not guaranteed to. That's what I would love to have is something that can make all of these cameras exist in one ecosystem so that I don't have to run multiple different apps or decide I'm going to shift to just one vendor to do everything. First world problem, I know. But that's my real dream for things. Like the stuff I'm seeing in the update that you put in the notes is cool, like dishwasher updates to get air codes, turn off and on, washers and dryers and stuff like that. That stuff's all really cool. And depending on who does those devices in your house, you may have experience with that already. Like, for instance, I have an LG washer and dryer and LG's app is really good about telling me the status of my washer and dryer, allowing me to download cycles, allowing me to get information, allowing me to send those information to my smart home assistants. So, like, I feel like I've gotten a taste of what you would get with those just through using the LG app. I'm excited to see how that would work when pulled into, say, Google Home or Samsung Smart Things or something like that. So this is all interesting stuff. But the way to make matter matter to a lot of people, and excuse the wordplay there, I really think it's security cameras and the security sensors and stuff that are in a lot of people's homes now, because you're getting more and more people that are starting to invest in home security systems and cameras. Yeah, the camera thing, I think, might be a while off for um, privacy and encryption reasons. I have a feeling that that's going... It seems like the companies haven't even figured that out properly yet across the board. Um, so I will be, I, I think maybe you get some notifications, like maybe some um, some ability to push uh, a motion alert or something. But I I'm don't see that coming. I hope I'm surprised, though, because I agree that would be a really nice thing to see integrated into there. It's the dream, at least my dream. <laughs> sp does this matter to you it does remember i have that switch in my workout room that i have not replaced mm. because i want a switch that's matter compatible right because it's the way of the future i just don't want to buy into something that's just not going to be compatible with the future so yeah this does matter to me and i look forward to everything being interoperable which will be awesome when that finally happens of course, in order to have that happen, we'll have to give up something like our 
Harmony Hubs. <laughs> Those have been on their last legs for way longer than I thought they would be. <laughs> no, exactly. Credit. They still work. Yeah. <laughs> they, yeah, I use mine all the time, but that's yeah. my point is that in order to get this great new technology, we got to let something go from the past. Yeah. No, I would rather have my Harmony Hubs keep working than have cameras and matter to be honest it's not gonna work for you that way progress will be made <laughs> uh hey speaking of your switch i forgot about that hey if you get a leviton switch so you know notable brand they actually have a beta uh, an early access firmware i believe that you can you can go ahead and get on the matter train so there you go choo choo <laughs> no comment Woo, woo. <laughs> I wish I had a train whistle on my desk right now. I would toot it for you. All right. Well, speaking of Chris's toots, how about Apple? Well, this isn't really to talk about toots, but if you have an iPhone 15 and a BMW, this is something that might be interesting to you. And if you're a tech enthusiast like we are, this is also a news story that could be potentially interesting. And no, I don't bring this up to dunk on either Apple or BMW, but more <clears> to be like, Man, as we get into more and more of this connected world that we live in, it's some of the strangest crap we've got to consider that could break. So if you guys hadn't heard, users have been reporting that their iPhone 15 NFC chips were failing after using BMW's in-car wireless charging. But until recently, Apple has not addressed those complaints. This seems to have changed as Mac rumors reported this week, an Apple internal memo sent to third-party repair providers says a software update later this year should prevent, quote, a small number, end quote, of in-car wireless chargers from temporarily disabling iPhone 15 NFC chips. Apple says that until the fix comes out, anyone who experiences this should not use the wireless chargers in their car. Well, why not? Because a lot of these users have been complaining that after using wireless chargers, Apple Pay doesn't work, which if you have an Apple Watch, you've got backups for. But more importantly, one of the things that's being touted with BMWs and a lot of the Apple products now is digital keys for your car that all work on NFC. So in theory, the wireless car charger in your phone could temporarily disable the NFC in your iPhone, meaning then you can't use your iPhone to unlock and operate your vehicle. Now, I assume that BMW has some backup method of some type that you're able to use, but that's a problem. And users are complaining broadly about this in posts on Reddit, Apple's support community, Mac rumors forums, it's been talked about a lot. So whether it's actually a small number or not, I don't think it necessarily matters when it breaks a fundamental feature of the phone. Now, assuming this gets fixed via software update, it's much ado about nothing. But it's also very interesting in today's world to be like, huh, I set my phone down to charge in the wireless charger, and now all of a sudden stuff's not working, and oh, uh-oh, did I just screw up my brand new phone in my brand new car? Why are these things not working together? We're getting back almost to those days of I've got to make sure cable X works with product Y and doesn't blow it up. Chris? Yes. You're holding it wrong. I mean, that's possible, <laughs> I suppose. In theory, if you had a proper si proper sized case, it would prevent the wireless charging from occurring if it was thick enough. So you could potentially save yourself that way. But this is something like, how do you even consider it when you're designing the app, the iPhone or an Android phone of some kind of, am I going to test this on every car charger out there to make sure this doesn't do something like, 
what what's the breakage? Okay. Something that's just unique to BMW because of how they've got the coils laid out for charging that it screws with the NFC, or is this something that may show up on other wireless chargers and we're just not hearing about it? It's just the BMW users. I'm fascinated to see what the root cause of it is and if it's spread to other devices. Let's let's go back in Newspoint and talk about Matter for a second because Matter was the idea of a bunch of companies coming together to establish a platform. And we know, or we can speculate, that they did that because their own individual development wasn't monetarily feasible for them to do that. So they wanted to offload those resources onto something else. So they create the standard so that it's lower overhead. Clearly, the wireless charging has been around like before really smart homes took off. And we don't have a standard that stops this stuff. That's because everybody's liking to play in their own sandbox because it does make them money. And so well, this this could all be solved if they had a standard, but they don't because everybody's making their own money by doing things a little bit different that, that encourages people to buy their own branded products. Hold on a sec. We do have a standard for wireless charging that Clear. everyone's using. And it's the Qi charging standard. It's a matter of, there's whether you're following that standard to wirelessly charge with these devices, the law of unintended side effects. I don't think that standard had any consideration for NFC when it was created because she's been around for quite a while. Like we we're talking about it with the pixel, excuse me, the, uh, the Nexus four, I think is back when we first started talking about it, and specifics to some of the phones that we've talked about on the show before. So it, it's relatively old in its use. I think this is an unintended side effect of, the way NFC antennas work is somehow getting interfered with with the way the Qi antennas and coils, rather Qi coils work for charging. And there's an unintended side effect of some kind going on here. Yeah, I think there were some news stories the way back that the NFC and Qi chargers on the Note 7 were colliding and incurring <laughs> <laughs> explosions and fires. So I don't have the bump. Sorry, I can't play it. Um, <laughs> I tried. I tried. tried to bring it back. It, it was good. Um, yeah, but I don't know. I think that obviously there must be enough discre like discretionary or discretion in the build if this is only some things that are affecting it. And so, um, it, or they're, they're just non-conforming to it. And then that's a whole other problem. Like, you know, or if, if you had... Shoe on, shoe on the other foot. We don't know that BMW is conforming to the standard for the wireless charger that they have in the car either. It could go either yeah. way. And, and that's fair. But I guess that's my point is that um, this standard, whatever it is, must not be tight enough restrictions that this is possible. Like you you think that there would be a way that um, the, the build quality would have to meet a certain characteristic or it didn't work. But you, like you said, that Qi standard has been around for a long time. So fair, fair point about that. But it probably could be modernized so that maybe there was like a an on off thing. If it didn't meet a certain standard, it didn't work. But anyways, that's beside the point. And you're right. The NFC thing is a whole other variable. Maybe the two haven't ever crossed paths as far as comparing the standards. But um, we'll see. We'll see what happens with this. In any case, I guess, you know, I just won't be able to buy my BMW I was planning on buying. Well, instead of getting a Beamer, just get a Benz or something like that. I don't know. I just thought it was an interesting news point because honestly, is this something that we would consider in today's 
smart connected car age that my wireless charger is going to temporarily disable the NFC in my phone that you may not think about, but you actually use a great deal, especially if you're using the wireless key function. It's crazy. Well, I hope that one day this gets solved because I feel terrible for all those BMW owners out there. Well, I'm more concerned about what other things is going to start happening in. If it's a, depending on where the problem lies, that then makes it more of a problem as to how widespread it could be. If it's just on a subset of BMW car chargers, because we don't know that it's all of them. The reports don't seem to indicate it's all BMW wireless car chargers. So if it's just a subset, we're kind of okay there. But if it starts happening across the board with more and more wireless chargers where NFC is getting temporarily, and I'll use air quotes because it was quoted in the article that way, temporarily disabled, maybe we have a bigger problem. Well, I know the article you linked to as well had said something also about Toyota Supras. So if you got yourself a Toyota Supra, apparently that's well, a problem too. What, wait, wait. Are you telling me that you can charge wirelessly your BMW EV through your iPhone 15? Uh, sorry, charge your EV so, by your iPhone 15? Is that what you said? Yeah, charge using your iPhone battery. You could charge your BMW. So in theory, they went to USB-C and the way the USB spec is written is the power is bi-directional, meaning whatever has the most power charges that with the weakest amount or the lesser amount of power. So in theory, if you brought your 100% fully charged insert vendor name here phone into your car that has a USB-C port that was fully compliant and capable of providing a charge to the vehicle itself, you could use your iPhone to charge your car. But I don't think the ports in most cars are set up to allow the bi-directional charging <laughs> as specified the USB-C standard. Somewhere out there, Chris, somebody just said challenge accepted. <laughs> oh, I'm, sure, I'm sure someone's going to try and that'll be fascinating. But that would be the, the very definition of trickle charging right there. And they'll go all of 150 feet before they run out of charge. You know, speaking of weird charging things, um, uh, I guess that was a week ago on Better Podcasting. I talked briefly just just chatting about uh, power stations. And um, I came across that uh, EcoFlow, who makes a bunch of power stations. They have a uh, cable that is meant for the EV standard. I forget which one it was. But basically, you can charge your big battery bank power station with an EV charger. And like, I think that that needs to be a life goal of mine. Just roll up to an EV charger, plug in my power station. I think it'd be fun. I mean, in theory, depending on what kind of plug you would use to do it, it's infinitely possible. Well, they have one. That's what they yeah. have. They have one. And so I what, think what's the what's the plug on? Is it the Tesla uh, Mac adapter or is it just the uh, let me look. Oh, God, my God, I'm forgetting uh, it is. I don't know. I can't find it. I don't know. Some Somebody do the work for me. I, I'm eh. <laughs> this was idle curiosity right here. It doesn't. Oh, it looks like it has an adapter for the Tesla North American charging standard. Is that what it is? I don't know. That's what's in the oh, picture. That's the adapter. I don't know. Like. I'm, I, I, uh, I don't know. You're making me work while we're podcasting. See, why did I no, bring that was, this up? That was my Jeez. mistake. Jeez. I apologize. Regardless, you, know you could, me. in theory, based off this product you're discussing here, plug it into some kind of quick charging device and charge your battery. Sure, why not? I mean, that's the world we live in nowadays, especially people that are doing like a lot of off-grid stuff. Make it the easiest way possible to charge up these battery banks they like to keep in their vehicles. No different than 
filling up your water tanks or offloading your septic. Mm -hmm. No different. All right. Well, let's go to the next news point, which is all about Amazon and humanoid robots. Did you guys see this over the weekend? I did not. I did not either. Oh, so there is some video coming out that Amazon is trialing a humanoid type robot to, quote, free up end quote staff and in this video you can see some humanoid type robots in some form of amazon warehouse or some form of setup to mimic that moving a bunch of containers around and these little robots they're they're green they've got the typical humanoid type weird backwards like legs and they've got a couple of glowing eyes and you just see them in this video walk back and forth moving a bunch of different containers Apparently, they are calling this new robot Digit, and it is going to grasp and handle items that are are needed to be moved in a similar fashion to how a human would. would. Well, when I saw this, um, the video that I saw really was moving a bunch of containers from one area over to a bench. That's what I saw it demoing. And in the process, it was taking like a thousand steps for every human step. Like it was a lot of little steps that it was taking. And I I saw this and I thought, makes sense. Automate some stuff a little bit further. Amazon's done that for a long time in their warehouse. They've got little things apparently in their warehouse that shoot or shoot different plat boxes and everything all over the place. You know, feeds people uh, what they need. They even have little rolly robots that do roll around transporting things through the warehouse. But when I saw this and I saw this robot walking super slow, taking a bunch of steps, Moving a bucket from one area to another, I thought to myself, why? Is this the really the solution? Or is there not a better automated way? Yes, I get for now, they've been having all of these humans moving these containers. But why do the containers need to be moved? Is it not better to modify the distribution system that you don't need this little robot? That it could be a con- uh, a conveyor belt, an automated... Um, you know, a, a big version of remember the little money tubes that used to see in different places back in the day, like something more like that for this specific purpose. I just can't understand an area where you would have to have a container physically moved from one area to another, whether it's by a person or a human. I, I feel like there's a better solution. I don't know the ins and outs of Amazon, but. I just can't picture where if you're going to automate it, yet you keep the distribution method the same as a human. Like, I I feel like there's got to be better automation than that. It's a proof of concept. I mean, that's how I look at it, is they're doing this because their long-term goal is they want to not have to pay people. Right. And they have a problem also of they can't keep people coming in because there's enough people that have worked there and quit that they're starting to work at a point where... <laughs> They can't get enough people in the warehouses during the surge times and things like that. So when you rely on robotic automation and things like that, you can automate people out of the process, which helps when you can't A, hire people or B, pay people a livable wage in which they want to come work for you or C, put people in a working environment that they want to be in. Because we've seen some horror stories about what Amazon warehouses and quotas for timings on things you have to do are like. They're just insane. So that's the push for automation here. It's to take the person out of the loop. I guess I just, I I struggle to see where 
if you're going to replace a human job with a robot where you need a humanoid robot rather than just a different thing. Like, let's go basic thing. We're going to replace. I know we don't have gas attendants anymore, but let's pretend we have gas attendants. We're going to replace gas attendants with with a robot. In two states, there are gas attendants. Fair in the United Jersey. States. And Oregon. Oregon, yeah. Yep. I forgot about that when I went there. Yeah, I got in trouble for pumping my own gas. Uh, Apologies <laughs> to any New Jerseyites who are listening to the podcast that I referred to it as Dirty Jersey. <laughs> um, okay, so you're going to do that. Your best bet is to create a humanoid robot that's going to pick up the pump and put it in rather than just some form of way that the pump itself moves its itself instead like right like a rocket launch quick disconnect arm exactly yeah. Yeah. yeah so i i just i don't know i struggle to see why you need humanoid robots like i get all the other the other discussion points you can have about replacing humans with with robots all these other things but i just mean like where is the practical application for a humanoid robot where it makes more sense than just modifying the robotics in something that doesn't require a physical style like this. So people can't think past the humanoid frame in a lot of cases is part of what's going on here because mm. we see that as the ultimate way to achieve things because human bodies, an elegant machine. There have been some trials and there are still some things that robots in other forms other than humanoid have problems and one of which is stairs now i i know i know what you just said you just create another solution like a lift or you enable to crawl them up uh walls or something like that right it's been a real problem with stairs being able to have them go up and down stairs without falling without wrecking anything without getting in the way that sort of thing i think things have progressed to the point where it can go upstairs and go downstairs. I haven't seen anything recently, but I do know that is one thing that the humanoid form excels versus other forms. Well, then I guess I will recant my statement and say it is for stairs. Stairs is the, is, is the, uh, the main reason why. I, I think part of the thought is is a humanoid robot can then be adapted to do multiple different types of tasks, whereas a specialized robot only designed to deal with one type of thing is not as adaptable. Like the dream is you get to the future and it's like Bicentennial Man. You have the robot that does whatever you tell it to. That's your butler that goes and does any of these things you ask for and things like that. And in the humanoid, humanoid excuse me, form, it's adaptable enough. It's able to do things like that. That's not to say it has to be human shaped necessarily, but a lot of the same characteristics that we have by or tripedal two, three arms, fingers with opposable thumbs and things like that. I think that's the kind of thing you look at. Now, humans are more comfortable looking at something that looks a bit more similar to them. It's why look at those Boston Dynamics videos with their robots. They're really cool, but a lot of people find them very off putting at the same time. All right. Well, I guess we will be replaced by robots in no time. On this They're podcast. a lot easier. To, you don't have to bleep them out. They'll just be programmed not to curse. So you got that going for you. I've already been replaced for years now. <laughs> I'm a Cylon, so I'm like humanoid-ish. Uh, do, you know, asking for a friend, do these podcasting robots still need to be pixelated? 
<laughs> if, I mean, in in certain anatomically correct places. <laughs> I mean, unless it's like a Ken doll down there, and then you don't really have to. <laughs> I mean, how else do they make other robots? Assembly lines. Mm-hmm. Mm. What happens on assembly lines? That's right. When the when the mama robot and the daddy robot are trying more. to save their relationship. They go to Gunna Geek After Dark to hear more about how baby robots come around. And no, none of us own that domain, so don't go there. We don't know what it is. <laughs> All right, Chris, what do you got going on with the Switch world? So I hadn't realized until just recently, guys, the Nintendo Switch is getting pretty old. And I made that realization when I went, oh man, what's the next new game that's really coming out for it? And the most recent thing was Super Mario Wonder. And I was like, well, what's the next first party Nintendo game coming to the Switch? Big name one. And I went, oh, I don't know what it is. And that made me realize, oh, wait, the Switch has been out for five plus years at this point in time, meaning it's probably pretty close to end of life. And we had heard some rumors that at some of the big game developer conferences and things like that, Nintendo had been showing off some new hardware in the back rooms about what they're planning to do for their successor to the switch for lack of a better term we're just going to call it switch 2 it may or may not be that who knows but we've started to get an idea of what may be the shape and form of this uh next gen console for nintendo as they recently filed a patent for a handheld device with a design that's a bit surprising the patent for the new nintendo device reveals a handheld that looks a lot less like what you might expect out of a nintendo switch 2 where we were thinking it would just be beefier hardware, bigger screen, thinner, larger battery. No, this is more like a Nintendo 3DS with a third screen on it. So the patent was first was excuse me first spotted by the folks over at Game Rant. It shows schematics for a dual screen device that can operate like a 3DS, which flips open to review excuse me to reveal two playable screens. It's also joined with an extra exterior touchscreen. It works when the device is shut. So to get you in the right headspace for what this looks like, think about the uh, Microsoft Surface Duo, but imagine there's a, another touchscreen on the front of it. So there's a touchscreen on the front, you unfold it, and you've got two screens side by side. That's sort of what we're talking about looking at. Uh, similar to what we have with the Pixel Fold right now, only instead of having one screen that spans those two halves, it's two separate screens when you open it up. So that's kind of what we're discussing. The handheld can also be split into two separate devices according to these patents. Nintendo submitted the patenting application for the handheld back on November 11th, 2022, and a lot of people are taking this as a hint for what the company envisions for its next generation of gaming devices. Now, we should also keep this in mind. Just because a patent's filed doesn't necessarily mean anything comes of it. It could be this is something Nintendo is going down the path of playing with, trying out, and said, hey, I'm not really sure this is exactly what we need to be developing. But it certainly sounds interesting on paper. And like Suncast says in the chat room, Nintendo doesn't necessarily have a good track record with unorthodox hardware designs. Now, I would argue the Switch is the exception to that because there's a lot of people that were like, a console, you dock, what the hell? And it's kind of taken off like gangbusters and become the number two console of this generation slash last generation. So it's kind of spanned both of those. But go back to things like the Wii U and GameCube controller layout. That's a that's a fair argument. So, but but I I could counter though. Like the 3DS was a huge success. Yes, and that was kind of unorthodox at the time. I think it's more that it's mixed results on some of their stuff. I, I would agree in with regards results. to how those layouts. I, I would I would agree with mixed results. Yeah, I'm curious to see what it looks like. Like 
from what we heard of the leaks coming out of a lot of these game shows and things like that was mostly speculated as to the power of the console. It was nothing about the form factor or the multiple screens or how things display. So that'll be very interesting to see how that all shakes out. I would have some concerns about durability when you have a device with two screens that folds apart that's separate, well, excuse me, three screens technically, that folds apart that is separatable. And I would also have concerns about battery life when operating in that split configuration because you'd have to have a battery in both halves of that clamshell. And now when they're together, you'd probably get pretty decent battery life. But when they're apart, you've got one half that has two screens on it and the other half has one screen on it. So that two screen half is going to it's going to burn power fast, I would think. And that is probably the side that would have less space for battery because it has two screens in it. So who knows? The, the idea is fascinating. I did share in our show notes some of the pictures that came out of the patent filings and stuff like that. And it effectively looks kind of like a 3DS modeled after a switch a little bit that has a screen on the exterior clamshell. That's the best way of describing it. It's fascinating. I'm curious to see where they go with it. I don't know. I like cool stuff. Uh, before we continue and get SP's feedback, I just need to say that he did an excellent job that every time you said the word switch, he found some form of switch picture to post into our Discord. That was very, that nice. was very impressive. Uh, it kept on getting harder and harder because it kept on getting more advanced and more advanced. I'm looking at these pictures, which I'm hoping that Stephen will be able to throw up on here. Anyway, it does look like I'm holding an iPhone 4S in my hand. It kind of looks like two iPhone 4Ss like sandwiched together. And I know it's not. I, I know what a 3DS looks like, but I think it could be, you know, fit form, same, same sort of stuff. Uh, as far as the battery goes, Chris, I would agree with that many screens that you'd want a distributed battery. However, you don't have to have a distributed battery. You can That's have true. the battery all in like the lower half or what you consider to be the lower half of that clamshell. So. Yes, if your intent is that when you separate them, one half of it is not playable. If the thought is that when you separate these two screens, it gives you two playable platforms then you have to have batteries in both halves. You're assuming that the wireless electricity would not be capable of, of happening. I, I don't think we're there yet. <laughs> <laughs> I would agree. That would be really cool if we were. We're, get, we're getting to the point right now where people are talking about just being able to charge your phone anywhere in a room wirelessly, potentially, but very slowly. So to have the kind of power you would need to support a gaming console that's... Let's be honest, effectively, the Switch's successor is probably going to be equivalent to a current gen Android tablet with an NVIDIA Tegra chip of some kind in it. While those can zip power, the power requirements aren't necessarily minimal for pushing pixels. Well, one of the other things that occurs to me with this is changing the format like that is we've seen a couple of uh, Switch style knockoff handhelds come out to success. And so um nintendo created the switch it was unorthodox at the time it, it was successful and then we saw things like the steam deck come out and and people seem to like that so if they go off the beaten path they established they could find themselves as the outlier if people do prefer this this all-in-one unit as opposed to a flip up thing so so i think nintendo kind of sees the writing on the wall right now that a handheld gaming device like that is problematic to be competitive in because 
things like the Steam Deck or the, uh, what is it, the ROG Ally that Asus has and any of the iNeo products that are effectively Windows or Linux machines in a Switch-like form factor, they all do the same thing, which is play video games, but they all do it either through the Epic Games Store launcher or the Steam launcher or things like that. The novel thing behind the Steam machine, or not the Steam machine, the Steam Deck, Steam machine is completely a different product, is that you can play almost any of your PC games in a handheld configuration and be able to share that save file between your PC and that Steam Deck. So they've sort of kept that market separate because Nintendo games are Nintendo games. First party Nintendo is its own draw. It's why you don't see them selling the rights to put first party Nintendo games on Steam, for instance, because they'd be hurting their own hardware sales. So I don't know the path they're going to go. I don't know that doing this new clamshell design with three screens is really a way to beat that competition because it's kind of gimmicky. Now, when you've got it in the unfolded configuration, it's like a 3DS. We saw that dual screen gaming like that worked, but yeah, you don't really need most of those games that way. You look at a lot of the 3DS games like the Zelda ones, it's like the bottom screen was a map the entire time. Okay, I can put that as a mini map in the corner of a screen. I don't necessarily need dual screens for that. So, so I don't know what Chris, the one. Chris, when when you got to go way 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 back, you know, the the mid 2000s when, you know, uh, Steve Jobs first introduced the Apple iPhone and the, the first Android came out. Did you need a smartphone back then? No. Do you need a smartphone now? Maybe. Okay. Well, uh, uh, another one. You know, when Steve Jobs came out and he goes, look at, look at this. Look at this iPad. And everybody's like, eh, it's just a bigger iPhone. I just, I don't see the point. Do you need your iPad? If you don't have an iPhone and you want connectivity, I would argue the iPad is your best alternative. So you could have one or the other, I would argue, in today's world for the most part. You don't have to well, have both. Do have you I need my bets enough there? <laughs> do you need a smartphone? Do you need a tablet now? One of them is pretty nice to have both as a luxury. I would. Oh, okay. Fair, fair, fair. Uh, you just said, I don't know if you need this. It's the same point in technology evolution as both of those devices were 20 years ago or 15 years ago. Uh, we're let, at me the counter, same point. let me counter with two words. Virtual boy. Okay. <laughs> I'm, I'm just, I'm mostly joking around here, but like Nintendo tries different things with hardware all the time. Virtual Boy was supposed to be the next big greatest thing in the mid 90s when they made their virtual reality headset and it it lasted a year. Ooh, 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 I got one. You know, when you had the the PlayStation 4 and the Xbox uh at ones, did you need your PlayStation 5? No, but I got it for free, so I was There take you that. go. You got one. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so um I was trying to look back on, on our Switch talk, because one of the things that stands out to my mind when I think back on the Switch is when we had had, had discussions about the rumored Nintendo NX. And uh, I was trying to figure out where that was. I believe that was episode 156, according to the show notes that I've just found. I think that was the one where there's all sorts of comical things we say that are hilarious to look back on. I remember digging up old clips and laughing at ourselves once about that. I believe that is the one there. But yes, we were skeptical. We were. In that show document, I found something interesting. Uh, you know, SP had asked for the um, 
the the patent thing to come on screen about this new device you were talking about. Well, in that show document, you had actually put in the original patent for the 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 current switch. And that right there, for those of you who are watching the video side of things, is the patent that was in the show document that that Chris mm. had dug up for the Nintendo NX at the time, which became the Switch. And it looks remarkably similar, actually, to what yes. actually came to be. And uh, the, the stand, maybe not so much, but I, I thought that was very interesting to look back on that in under the lens of this discussion. I mean, and if this leak is accurate, I think it's an interesting device that will come out. And Nintendo does cool things to make it pay off and get people interested. I think after the success of the Switch, it's very hard to be a skeptic of Nintendo's success. It just seems weird to me, but hey, weird sells. Wow, we were so young. <laughs> <laughs> Look at the thumbnail for this episode 156. Wow, we were young. Wow. You got a gonna geek. Uh I think it's gonna geek.com slash one fifty six. Yeah, that no. Is that back no, in the what the twenty sixteens or seventeens that we did this one? Geeks.link slash one fifty six, I think works. Yeah, geeks.link slash one fifty six will take you over there to the uh the episode one fifty six. Um and apparently the episode was called Tyler Hoshlin Superman, which I still can't say right, and I'm so sure people will still get mad at me for that. Was it um, Oakland, I think. So it there was. You go. I don't know. I always mess it up too. Yeah. So wow, yeah, we are young in this thumbnail. That's that's uh I would love it's to show it right now, it's but it's over a lot of work. seven years ago. <laughs> wow. So go to geeks.link slash one five six to see that. And Suncast there, there were, is on that episode actually as well. There was there was no gray in my beard then. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't have a beard then. <laughs> Huh. Uh, all right, well, let's go on to our last news of the night, which is is semi-news, right, SP? News or nudes? Both. Which, which should I hear? <laughs> well, there? I mean, if you want them. <laughs> you just said it. So uh, a couple weeks back, I wasn't on the Better Podcasting show, and Stephen did a solo show. He did an amazing job on the show. The reason why I wasn't on the show is I had to travel for work. This is the first time... I had traveled for work since before the pandemic. So I went back to see when that was, by the way, and it was April of 2019 was the last time that I had traveled for work. I had tried to push it off, but I remember in 2020 that I was going to travel and we were making plans in, in March of 2020 for me to travel. And then boom, you know, the world changed. Well, this is the first time I traveled for work. I've traveled since then personally, but for work since then. And uh, I resurrected my some of the tech that I took with me when I was traveling. And I just want to review this because I think it could benefit some people. And there are reasons why in tech that this would be applicable. We talked a little bit about it on Better Podcasts, but I think the discussion is more apt for here. So in my hand right now, so you have to go see the video, is a hard case. And inside the hard case is my travel router and it is a tp link 750 and it's 750 because that's you know how much data it can go through it's just this little puck really thing and it's meant to connect and it's got a, a plug in here and it's meant to connect to a wi-fi point and that you can use it for wi-fi 
for your devices, you're like, hey, SP, I just connect to the hotel Wi-Fi. Well, there are some reasons why not just to connect directly to the hotel Wi-Fi. First of all, hackers. Second of all, some devices you cannot connect directly to the hotel Wi-Fi. And most of those devices that I can think of off the top of my head are set-top boxes. So you're talking like Roku's or Apple TV's or uh, Xbox's, you know, play play uh, devices, uh, video game devices that are not switches, that are not handhelds machines. So those sorts of things you can't connect because you can't get to the web page that would agree to the terms of service to use the thing. You can use your tablet, your smartphone, or your laptop through a travel router, and you can get the travel router connected to the hotel Wi-Fi, and then you can have all sorts of fun with those devices that you bring with you as long as the Wi-Fi is fast enough for to use it. Now, some Wi-Fi, some hotels, it's not going to be fast enough. Some hotel Wi-Fis, it is going to be fast enough, or maybe you're there on a down day and there's not too many people there using it. There's also the fact that you only have to connect one device. And if you're like us, you have like 15 devices, like even just in your travel bag that you have. And if you just connect the one device, then you don't have to go through the pain of connecting all the devices. So this works still today. Uh, this is a newer one. I had an older one. I had a, uh, a TP-Link 300 before, and this is a 750. So it's faster. Still not blazing fast, but fast enough to do everything I want. And I have a Roku stick, a 4K Roku stick. And this last time around, I was fortunate enough to be able to drive to the location. So I brought my Xbox One S as a test case. Worked just fine. So if you know, you're traveling, you're techie, you don't want to go through all the pain of connecting all your devices... Just set it up to connect to the router once, and then you're good to go from then on in. You don't have to, especially if you have devices that you just travel with. Like my Roku stick, I only travel with. I don't have it here at home. So yeah, you can do all that. It's very simple, very easy, very quick. And um, you might run into some issues actually connecting the device to the hotel Wi-Fi. Like I said, I had to use my laptop this past time in order to do it but it works. And Stephen, I know you've done it in the past. Chris, I don't think you've ever done it. I've not, I have a travel router. I've done that with before too. I, I, the big point though, for people here, and we were talking about it in chat is if you don't have a travel router at the very least, and you go to hotel Wi-Fi, make sure you turn the VPN on your devices that you connect to it. And a lot of our devices now have built-in VPNs you can use. For instance, the Pixel 8 Pro has a built-in VPN. So the way I have mine set up is any Wi-Fi that's not my home Wi-Fi or ones I've marked safe, the VPN turns on as soon as it connects to any of those other Wi-Fis. On hotel Wi-Fi, you want to be protected. Do that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, if I were to be buying again now or traveling regularly, I probably would look at um, a travel router. I assume this exists. I honestly don't know if it does, but that has uh, built-in VPN capabilities that I can set. That yeah. I can set the credentials. I looked and I didn't find it. Doesn't mean that it doesn't exist, but oh. I looked and I couldn't find it. Well, in any case, I would be running VPNs now on my my devices, even through the travel router. But um, the the thing that's a key that you talked about, though, is is you know it's it's a firewall against. Um, and I don't know. You said the term firewall, but you said against hackers, right? Like if you're if you're just yeah. connected to everybody's Wi-Fi, you, you are counting on. 
um, segmentation between the clients being done right by the hotel. I, I don't know that I have the most faith in the hotel IT department for your, your average hotel. But if you have a router, you now have a travel router that's set up properly. You now have a firewall. At, at the least, you have a firewall between the rest of the network and your devices. And that is huge. Obviously, if the downstream is still compromised without a VPN, there's other things that are ha poss possible. With HTTPS encryption, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot less concern than there used to be. But I just having that extra firewall is huge. So yeah, I I agree. Hugely important, SP. It's baked in in a lot of stuff now. Like even just basic firewalls provided by the big hardware companies and things like that. Now you can, of course, go and get the ones you like. You've seen all the promo codes, NordVPN, Windscribe, all these other things that are out there. Do your research and you can find a router, not a router, excuse me, a firewall that will work, VPN, jeez, a <laughs> VPN that will work for you and whatever your goals are, be it just security or maybe you want to appear you're in another country to escape geographic restrictions on content you want to view. I'm not talking like Netflix. I'm talking you could be in, say, China, and you want to be able to view stuff that is outside the Great uh, Firewall. I will. Like con I'll confess. I'll interrupt you. Sorry. I'll, I'll interrupt you to confess. I have used the VPN to watch links that you have sent me because you've sent me. A, you guys have sent me YouTube videos that are geo restricted in Canada because, like, you know, some other company has the rights to that YouTube video in Canada. And I'm not going to bother search. I just quickly click on the VPN thing and go, US. Okay, I'll watch the YouTube video. End. Just note, it's not your built-in Google VPN on your Pixel phone. It's not going to let you circumvent no. those geo-blocks <laughs> Google products, I don't think. But I did there are find, I did find a router with VT, VP, a travel router with VPN included. It might not be the best one, but... I'm assuming that there's others. We'll have to do some research and and maybe get back to you because but, if we travel in the future, I would like a VPN baked into my travel router. This router you're showing, I think Linus LMG did an episode on this one. I, I don't remember though if it was the Short Circuit channel or the Linus Tech Tips channel. One of his channels actually reviewed this router that SP put in the chat room and were pretty favorable in their review of it. I mean, if you're going to travel, this is the way to go and connect all your devices. Years ago, when we talked about it, I was like, yeah, the hotel Wi-Fi will only allow three devices free to connect to the Wi-Fi. And I was like, I've got a family of five at the time. We all had our own devices. I'm like, I I'm going to go over that three limit really quick. A travel router was a way to get around it. Okay. So you said the, that Linus Media Group reviewed this. Therefore, this company is willing to work with sponsorships. Therefore, I request when you guys all come up to pour one out on my house that is on fire, I request that this company set you guys up in a hotel room and, and with a travel router so you can review it on the follow-up Gunna Geek Show episode. <laughs> um, I think it's going to die a fiery death in the crater that was your house. <laughs> No, we'll do one more. It'll be our farewell to Stephen. Perfect. I It'll don't know just how... be a clip show. Somehow you you'll find. Actually, no, you you would have a way to post on this. Yeah, you'd be good. This still here, you got full access, so you're good. Yeah, yeah, you're good. You haven't revoked my access to the YouTube channel, so we're good. Better podcasting live chat. SP's locked out, but gonna geek show. You're good. <laughs> <laughs> 
All right, well, that's going to go ahead and bring us towards the end of the show. Before I wrap up, I want to remind everybody, we are part of the Gunna Geek Network. The Gunna Geek Network has a bunch of amazing podcasts and video shows and other content over there. Go to GunnaGeek.com. There is awesome, awesome podcasters over there, including a couple other shows that these two do. One of which is All Things Good and Nerdy. I believe Chris Farrell hosts that if I am checking my notes correct here. As well correct. As, as I believe SP hosts Legends of Sword. Is that correct? Legends of Sword? Yes. Sure. I'll, I'll go with that. I, Legendsofsword.com. Legends of Shield is the podcast that SP does all about the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And if you're not watching Loki Season 2... Or if you started watching Loki season two and you weren't that into it, I would suggest you go and watch season one and maybe you will be more into it or maybe you will be into season two because that definitely happened to me. Also, if you've been poo-pooing the Disney Plus MCU series and you're like, yeah, I'm I'm just going to let it go. I'm thinking and I could be completely wrong. But I'm thinking this might be the series that you might want to check out because I think it might be directly applicable to what's going on in the MCU. I think finally we might be getting there. <laughs> However, I say that and next episode just coming out in a couple of days might be like SP you're wrong, which which I'm fine with because that was my going in assumption with Loki to season two to begin with. But anyway, yeah, check it out. Check out the show there. We have some fantastic theories. I think Stephen, I think you would admit. There's mm-hmm. fantastic theories in there. So we'd love to hear what you think about them. And I'm pretty sure 90% of them have been not coming true, but have been far better than what actually happened in the show. So, um, but I want to say in the chat, Suncast is saying I've had a hard time with Loki season two. And I, that's actually what I was alluding to. I watched the first three episodes of season two and I was having a hard time. And then there was a conversation after recording the last week's Better Podcasting that SP mentioned about Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D. And, and I admit at the time I had not caught up with their coverage there on, on uh, Loki season two. And I'm like, you know what? Don't tell me about that. I'm going to go listen. And I got like one and a half episodes into the Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D. discussion. And there was something that a couple of you had said. And I'm like, that's it. I need to rewatch season one. And so I stopped playing that and I went back and I I binged over the course of a few days season one and then I rolled back into season two rewatched those first three episodes and honestly I really enjoyed season two I was not enjoying it the first time around there it to me I think that it goes to show that Marvel continues to have Marvel TV continues to have the problem of of writing a big movie broken up and um I think that happened with season two. It it banked too much on the momentum of season one. And you don't usually get that with seasons. Usually seasons are a point where you get a bit of a reset other than maybe your cliffhanger episode. Right. But you almost get a little bit of of a reset point. Um, and I think that the, the train was full speed at the end of season one into the events of season two. And so without that rewatch momentum, I definitely felt another way about season two than after rewatching. So that did it for me. I hope for you, Suncast, maybe it could do the same. Maybe it won't, but that definitely did it for me. And I much more enjoyed season two after doing that. I have nothing to compare it to because I made sure I watched season one before I watched season two. 
<laughs> well, I had yeah, so I had watched season one, but two, three years ago or whatever that was. That that's all. I meant immediately proceeding. Exactly what you're talking about. Gotcha. <laughs> um, Chris, are you caught up with Loki? Yes. We okay. tend to watch it on Thursday evenings or Friday evenings. I will say them launching them at like 9 p.m. on Thursdays or whatever it is, Eastern time, has been a godsend. They did that with Ahsoka, and it was the greatest thing ever for me that I could watch that, you know, Thursday night instead of having to go to work Friday and try and dodge spoilers all day. <laughs> nice. I Yeah, I, I know why they do 9, but I would prefer they do it a little bit earlier, but, you know. It's not my call. I well, think it's to help our West Coast compatriots so that it's it, not it like during is. the work day. Well, yep. that, that's what I say. They do it at nine. What are you talking about? They do it at six. <laughs> I see what you did. <laughs> all right. Well, check out Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D. Check out all things good and nerdy and check out the rest of the Gunna Geek Network. But that's going to go ahead and wrap it up for episode number 406 apparently, of the official Gunna Geek show. I'm Steven saying, wow, we are so young in episode 156. That's crazy. Hey, I'm Chris. I'm going to go check out that Apple event, I think. And I'm SP, apparently. <laughs> Bye. Or are you a variant? Shh. Robot, variant AI, I'm everything. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> checking out another episode of the official gunnageek.com show if you like the show please give us a five-star review in apple podcasts or a thumbs up on youtube you can always join us for our live recording sessions at www.geeks.live and remember you can find our full back catalog at gunnageek.com forward slash show if you're itching for more geeky content check out other shows on gunnageeknetwork.com Voice work was by Emily Prokop of the Story Behind podcast. That's it for this episode. We hope to see you back again next show. 